This is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs, we're going to be asking the question, what do you need to play original Dungeons & Dragons? We're going to be looking at the recommended equipment list that's in the first book to D&D 50 years ago, and we'll be thinking about how surprising some of the items are, whether you really need everything there, or maybe some important gear was left out. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Before we begin, I will remind everyone that at the end of the show, we have our after-party chat, as always. If you're interested in that, uh, that is a live video chat with Dan and I and all of our patrons uh, over on our private Discord server. Uh, you can join in by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Join at any tier, you'll get an invite to our Discord server, get that wrapped up in the next hour, and we'll be there live at around a little after, maybe 10 after 2 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, uh, we enjoy that part of the week so much, uh, and we would uh, love seeing you there if uh, you're not part of our uh, regular uh, regular crew over there. Uh, that'll be great. So uh, again, uh, this is the 50th anniversary of D and D being released. Uh, just you know, in the in the early uh, spring or jan possibly January February um, of 1974. So we're kind of carefully uh, going through parts that might be surprising. <coughs> current players and uh on i think it's page what is it page three of the first book page five is what it is there's this uh rather extensive list of recommended equipment and we've mentioned it in passing in some other episodes about well remember the recommended equipment has this but i don't think we've ever had the opportunity to dig into the full list so uh if you've seen the thumbnail to the current episode i took a picture of it I have all this gear immediately to my right, and I think Paul does too. So <laughs> we, we can pull it out and inspect it if we need to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I might be missing one or two items on the list, but I put it up here uh, on the screen for everyone to look at. Um, what do you think, Dan? Should we just go through it in order? Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think it makes sense. So, so okay. first of all, you need Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> really? Yeah, you, you well, Paul, you have it. <laughs> Excellent. You, you have, have it. it. According to the text. <laughs> not, not wrong. Not wrong. <laughs> so obviously you have the uh, the box set, right? And it came with uh, three yep. little booklets that are that there aren't named this, but are basically analogous to uh, the player's book, the monster's book, and the DM's book, uh, basically. Um, and uh, we talked about the, the 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 form factor in our first episode of the season. They're little digest size things, fit in your hand real nice. Yep. I mean, don't, don't forget you your handy dandy uh, reference sheets. Well, that's a good point. I mean, you got to have the reference sheets. I don't think I've ever actually looked through the reference sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I probably did loosely, cursely. Hey, well, they're they're not stapled, so I think that's appropriate. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, obviously, you have to have the game then. Should we just should we just move on? <laughs> you know, let's talk about where or you can you get it. Actually, it? right. So obviously, these mm. are collectors' items, and and I think Paul and I are both kind of lucky that we got them before the the prices went sky high. 
Um, yeah. But uh, the, the the games we're talking about today, you can't, and this hasn't always been the case. They've gone they've gone in availability and out of availability online. But as of our taping today, you can go to Drive Through RPG today, and for ten dollars, you can get a PDF of the original game. Um, and I think for a D and D aficionado, I got it late. Right, I got the original game late, and it answered a lot of questions about why things are weird in D and D. It really makes sense when you see them in the original format, so I recommend that. Yeah, it's it's fascinating coming at it from that direction, right? Because I've I've heard so many accounts, not so many accounts, but I've heard accounts of how when it came out at the time, fifty years ago, that it was very difficult to make sense of. That it's it's the text is makes a lot of assumptions about the perspective of the reader and. Um, you know, doesn't cover a lot of things and leaves a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, and I get that. I can absolutely get that reading the text. But of course, I'd never had that experience because I knew, you know, first edition and second edition and basic and had all of that under my belt before I came to this. So to me, you know, my my reaction has has been that seeing the original game answered more questions than it than problems that it posed and i think that for me part of it is that the prior references are explicit so they'll say we're looking at this game or we're looking at this piece of literature or this this is the role that came from elric and when you move forward to the the first edition era a couple years ago they they scrubbed for ip copyright concerns they scrubbed all those references and to me yeah. like as a first edition it looks these things come out of nowhere and like where where is this idea coming from and what's the motivation for that and it's more it's more visible in the original game so i personally have have really even though you need that advanced knowledge at least you know where it's coming from what do you know what what printing the pdfs are of because certainly like my box here you can tell by the little starburst on it that says uh you know original collector's edition, right? So already this is the last print of it, which I think is sixth printing. So they'd already removed all that stuff. Uh, did the PDFs have the stuff that got removed or, or are we uh, looking okay. at PDFs? Well, uh, that's, that's a good point. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the PDFs, I'm very confident, are of the last printing original D&D, so the, the collector's sure. edition six. Uh, and of course, Paul, you're talking about that they, they removed, this is a good point, they, remo they did remove the explicit references to Tokine. Right. Um, you know, if you get, I guess when we talk about chain, no, I, thought, I thought that's what you were um, referencing. No. Well, this is a good point. I get, I, I, maybe I misspoke a little bit. Uh, if you get, if you get the PDF copy of chain mail, it still all has that stuff. So maybe that mm -hmm. was sticking in my mind a little bit there. Okay. Okay. Well, we haven't gotten down to chain mail yet. That's like several items down the list. Sorry. Sorry. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> Sorry. My bad. My bad. <laughs> Now, of course, uh -oh. if you're going to play D&D, &D, you need multiple other games. <laughs> you can't just have <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, you have that, but you also yeah. need you need multiple other games in order to interface with it correctly, um, such as what, Paul? Uh, well, Outdoor Survival, of course. I have to have my copy right, right. here. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Avalon Hill Outdoor Survival game. When did this game come out, Dan? This is uh, mine. Says looks like copyright seventy two. If I'm reading that right. right, it's a little worn. It's a little worn on the back of my box here, but yep. so that's been That's out for several years by the time D and D came out. It's interesting that it's still that it was still so prevalent in everyone's mind. 
or the author's mind. I, I think say. things, I think, you know, things did move at a slightly slower pace. <laughs> True. Back in True. the day. So, um, you know, people, you know, be on someone's bookshelf. I think, you know, people were, it took, took, took many people years to find out about D&D after it was published. It wasn't easy to find out about these games at the time. Um, so, actually, uh, you know, that's kind of a question that has been sticking in my head recently, or, you know, since we're calling this the 50th anniversary, we're talking about when it first came out. And one of the things I immediately wonder is like, I know the stories of Gygax sitting around the kitchen table, assembling the boxes and such, but how was he taking orders? Where was he advertising? What do we actually, what does the date actually represent? Is it the date that print material showed up at his table or is it the date that it was officially on offer somewhere at a store? Was he selling it through stores? Was he, was it mail order? What was he selling this thing? It's a, it, it, all, I think all of these things, I think, uh, you know, I, our friend John Peterson could tell a rather long story about trying to fill in those gaps. And I think my current understanding is we, we have a rough estimate that probably it was in print in January of 74. We know that there were advertisements for it in the spring of 74. Um, and it's, it's, it's a little hazy exactly about exactly when it was available to the public. But in stores, clearly in stores taking mail orders, the ads, you know, were, were saying, you know, send your money, we'll give, we'll, we can do a mail order for you. So um, anything they were, anything they could, I think. So, so what, what, uh, what is Peterson counting as the, as the actual date? His, his, of... I believe his best guess is it's in print as of January of 74. Yeah, but you don't know what that's hooked into, like whether that's like when the first ad appeared or, or when Gygax received the materials or. I, I think that would be when Gygax received the materials, I think. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> if one of our viewers wants to give more detail about that, that feel free to do yeah. so. And of course, knowing now, absolutely nothing about how like mail order 50 years ago worked, I'm super curious, like, was he taking orders before he received the print materials? Did he hold off listing any ads until he was putting boxes together? I think hmm. maybe so. I think maybe so. Yeah. And of course, even a mail order at the time would take, you know, 12 to 15 weeks. Well, that's like, you know, a quarter of a year uh, turnaround time. <laughs> Okay. I'm personally, I will say that I am personally thrilled to get to live in the future um, and experience how different life is. Because I will say that if I buy something online nowadays, it, it arrives too fast. I'm actually irritated <laughs> about how fast I'm like, this is not right. Something is, yeah. you wanna, something has you wanna broken allow four to six here. weeks for delivery? Well, you know, I like one week. You know what? One week I think is okay. But like the next day is ridiculous. Like that's not physically possible as far as I can tell. Someone's warped oh, space. I've gotten stuff day of. That's, you know. I don't place, even want to talk in the about morning, this. Get it by the afternoon. This makes me so <laughs> That's bullshit. That's bullshit. What the hell is that? <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. Outdoor survival, right? So yeah, our viewers yeah. should be, if our viewers aren't already familiar with outdoor survival, uh, our viewers should be familiar with at least one part of it. What, um, what, what part should our viewers be most, most familiar with? I mean, I mean presumably, uh, and this, I just know this from, from the games you've run, Dan, that presumably the most important part is the board, right? It's the physical board, right. which, which creates a nice outdoor hex map for you to 
right. track your 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 uh, right. outdoor explorations. Right, which our viewers are looking at right now, and in every they are episode. indeed. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It is the background. <laughs> it is the, the background which frames the show. You're looking at it. Yep, that's true. <laughs> and it's, it's it's a nice product, right? Hard, right? Hardboard um, map layouts, right? Pretty big. So I need to, when I when I do lay out the whole thing for a game, I need to use most of a whole table. Very durable. Uh, they look great. 52 years later, um, in addition to a whole bunch of counters and rules and, um, you know, life level trackers and an and an actual booklet on learning how to actually survive in the wild for real, <laughs> which is an interesting, um, which is an interesting twist. It's actually the biggest yeah, piece of paper. I, in, the, in the book. You know, the thing that I find fascinating about that board is and this is such a silly detail but that the fact that it comes in three pieces like that i i own zero other board games that do that what an interesting 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 i always kind of wonder about that like why what what relic of printing process that we don't recall landed outdoor survival in this interesting kind of three three section board i'm trying to get my board out here I can look at well, I find, I mean, for what it's worth, I find that it's really solid, right? If you don't do that, then you need like pieces that fold in different directions. And um, I like that this, you know, this, you don't have to, you don't have to decode which direction a particular yeah. slice is going to fold in. And I, I find yeah. that this is like, the, it's certainly the most solid map of anything that I own. And it seems really, really I, I durable. I wonder if that was an intentional choice because a lot of the Avalon Hill games of this period come in exactly this size and shape box, which is just slightly big, just big enough to fit an eight and a half by eleven, you know, letter size booklet in it, and it probably fits real nice on your bookshelf. So yeah. maybe that was all intentional design. If so, I'm I just flipping through the um, the Wilderness Skills primer again. It has nothing to do with the game. It's like actually really like how to survive the run. It's like. Co common poisonous plants, uh, the most common poisonous snakes in North America, how to deal with a back sprain, all on, this, all on, this, all on page 15. Um, let me think. Let me just mention a couple of things, right? So if someone didn't know, right, here's a couple of really key elements of D&D that come pretty much directly out of outdoor survival at the beginning. Um, the, the, the normal terrain, like as you can see right here, mountains and plains and woods and desert right that those categories come right out of outdoor survival the specific move rates in original dnd come out of outdoor survival so you get this glossy sheet in outdoor survival that movement in a plane is going to be one hex movement in woods will be two movement in mountains will be three so when i'm playing outdoor dnd i actually just take this sheet from outdoor survival tape it up on the outside of my dm screen and just like this is this is your move rates when you're when you're moving in the wilderness in D and D. Um, the, um, the 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 overall system for encounters basically comes out of outdoor survival, and the rule for being lost, right, the classic rule for being lost, which is a major factor when you're in playing outdoor survival, initially comes right out of that, and then gets modified a little bit later. Yeah. It's it's a fascinating way to play, and I don't want to spend the whole you know, show care talking about this, because I'm pretty sure we did an episode on this, but uh, of, of sort of playing with the map as a board flat on the table in front of everyone. Because I feel like that uh, is generally not my experience of how outdoor exploration in D&D &D ever occurred. 
right? I, I feel like that's kind of a, a relic of the very early edition of the game that got moved away from. Um, so that's fascinating. And actually, you know, and coming back to it later and trying that out, actually, I really enjoyed it, frankly. I thought it was very, very clever. But I also generally enjoy that style of adventure. I love adventures that give the players a, an incomplete, partial map to work from to start with, rather than just, here's a blank piece of graph paper. Yeah. Good luck. I agree. And that's been my experience when I've, when I've tried this initial wilderness process that um, having all this information allows for interesting choices. The players get to get have, having something to start with and not just fully just off in nowhere allows the players to have interesting conversations and choices about where to go and what goal to pursue. Um, so it's interesting. And initially, right, the whole wilderness game was entirely procedurally generated. It's, it's, it's you know, you can see how to get started with the game. That's all you need. Grab your outdoor survival, lay it out grab your reference sheets with a couple of charts and the entire game is just random monsters and random treasures and at least to begin with that was enough to get people hooked on it and it takes a very minimalist little amount of, of rule set and you don't have to the you know for the lazy if you're the lazy dm you literally have to do no prep work whatsoever and you can at least get started that way it's fascinating, you know, because we talked recently, uh, just an episode or two ago, about the earliest modules and how it was interesting to us that, that that wasn't really on TSR's radar, right? When they first printed the game, they didn't think that they were going to be creating, you know, dungeons as we know them, right? Or modules as we, we often call them. Um, and, may, and I wonder if this is why, right? The expectation was, well, you're, you're, you're going to just randomly generate the content as you go, right? Like, you don't, you don't have a pre-created map, maybe? I don't know. I, 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 thinking back to, like, certainly I'm very used to, it's, it's hard sometimes for me to separate, like, what I remember from AD&D or BX from OD&D. BX certainly talks about how to prepare a dungeon. Does, is, that, is that language in OD&D, or is, was that new to BX? Yeah, you get, yeah, you get a, it's more minimalist, but yeah, there's a five step how you're going to put your dungeon together in the DMs book. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I guess three steps. I guess there's three steps is make a dungeon, make monsters, put treasures. There's your, there's your dungeon process. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> that's that's the place where we step away from proceduralism, right? Where it says, you know, where you get that my favorite little bit of advice that I feel like is glossed over of like place the most important stuff first by hand, just manually, yeah. just do it. You're right, right. You're right. Start with yeah. just intentionally putting most important stuff in your dungeon. Use the random tables to fill in the extra later, but start with mm -hmm. intentional design. Which you know, clearly in your outdoor adventure, that's that's right out. Like, nope. No intentional design yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's sort of already done with outdoor survival map to a certain degree, and then you just then the rest of it's the the random bit to a certain thing. But yeah, uh, for the and you know, it, it is written kind of stream of thought. The 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 important parts are maybe not highlighted, but you know, in the middle of a paragraph, like Paul says, it does say it is a good idea to thoughtfully place several of the most important treasures uh, in your dungeon, and then switch to a random determination for the rest of it. Um, so that's very true. Let me just make one other point about outdoor survival because 
in, on like blogs and conversations, right? A lot of people talk about, you know, getting lost in the, in the, the D&D wilderness, which is a classic rule. And a lot of people say it's, it's irritating to give the players false information and then their map is screwed up and they have to backtrack and who knows when it got off track. But that's not the original rule. Right. The, the, the rule for getting lost in outdoor survival, which is kind of the key mechanic, is like Paul saying, you see the map, right? It's not like you have a fake map versus a real map, is that it redirects you on a forced move in a direction that you didn't want for one day. So one day you, you, you take one, one step of a, of, a, of a journey in a direction you didn't want, and then you have to correct after that. Um, and that's what it is in original D&D. Original D&D says to do the same thing. It wasn't until the the advanced edition a couple of years later that that got changed into, well, presumably they're mapping and then we're going to give you a fake direction. And at some point, they're going to have to discover that it's wrong and, and correct all of it. And I think that was a mistake. I think that was I think that was a, a mistake overly complicated. I don't think that's how getting lost really works um, in the real world. And I like the the outdoor survival getting lost seems much more playable to me. Interesting. I can see it. All right, shall we shall we move down the list? We, 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 we sure. What else? Through. What else do you need? The second bullet. Okay. Well, our third bullet here that I'm looking at is dice. All the different kinds of dice, dice are dice. available from TSR. A pair of four sided, a pair of eight sided. Four to twenty pairs, six sided, a pair of twenty, and a pair of twelve. Well, I got my dice. Uh, I got my dice right here. But it came, came with, a, with a nice crayon and crayon and everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you lucky people who got dice in the first box. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this is this is uh, you know anachronistic because of course this is from uh, BX, right? This did not come. I don't know where when you were playing OD&D, you went out and, oh, let me just go out and buy some dice. I think that was maybe a little harder to find. I I want to point out, though, like there's there's a couple of interesting things in this list and we can talk about like the lack of inside of dice and, and whatnot. But the thing that's jumping out at me this morning is the numbers of dice, which I find really interesting, right? There's a lot of pairs. You want two, each of these yeah. types of dice. Except for yeah. six, you need a whole lot of sixes. And right. and the, the the underlying message that I'm getting that I find really interesting is to think that the that at this time dice were a collective pooled resource for the whole table. Right? It was well, you need this to okay. play the game, right? And yeah. and I think yeah. modern players are much more used to like every player has their own collection of dice. That's right? Every great. player has a little pile of yeah. dice in front of them. Um, and I don't think that was the way it was played, right? It was, it was, nope, they're, they're just like, there's one board, there's one pile of dice for the game. Yep. I mean, a couple of pages later, when it says you're going to have to roll ability scores for the, for the players, it literally says the referee does that job. The referee rolls the ability scores and gives them the players in order to get started playing. Um, yep. so that's actually a really good point. Did someone, I think someone on our Discord, forgive me for not for having vague memory about this, but I think someone posted a, a, a video of college students playing in the 70s, in like the late 70s. And one of the things called out as interesting in that video was that the players were rolling to hit, but the DM was rolling damage. Oh, interesting. That. I'm sure that varied by group. Right, I, I bet yeah, every probably. permutation you can think of, because I mean, technically, the, the, the game doesn't say where the game technically doesn't say who rolls the die to attack or who rolls damage. So I can imagine different play groups settling on, on any different combination of that that you can, you can think of. 
Yeah. I hadn't yeah. seen that myself before. Yeah. I always, and I always, and I always used to pause it. I was sort of wondered if it wasn't maybe assumed that the DM was doing more of the rolling when you get, when you look at something like AD and D where the actual, what you actually need to roll to hit is not in the player's handbook. It's not there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So unless you, you know, so unless you have the DMG and are passing it around, like I'm, I'm guessing, I'm intuiting that maybe we're expecting the DM to make those rolls. Yeah, I think I think that was I think that was the case. Certain case, the, you know, the other thing I'll point out, of course, is that um, there's five types of dice here. They're all the five platonic solids, <clears throat> right? There's no ten sided die because the ten sided die hasn't been invented yet. At this point, well, I disagree with um, that, Dan. It's clearly right there in the top right. One pair of twenty sided dice, which we all know is just oh, the numbers zero right. through nine twice. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, good point, good point. Yep, fair enough, fair enough, Paul. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so we're, st we're I mean, but the truth is, it's uh, it's the it's a platonic solids, <laughs> and we all know that the really the, the point of Euclid's elements was ultimately to prove that there are only five platonic solids, five regular solids in the universe. And these are them. And uh, the game relies on those things. Um, so uh, so that that certainly that certainly makes makes my brain my <laughs> my on the spectrum brain very happy that that's what the game yeah. was at the, at the outset. Yeah. I don't know. I Maybe don't know. Gygax had access to D7s, though. Would he have used them? No, he would not. Get, 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 shut your filthy mouth, Paul. Shut your... God. Because as is being pointed out in our chat right now, of course, it was just much harder to find these back then, right? Like, how did you even get these dice? Yeah, you probably raided your copies of um, Monopoly and Clue to get some D6s, right? But other than that, where are you getting the rest of these dice? I don't know, frankly. I, I, you had to track this stuff down, right? You probably knew because you got you managed to get a copy of Dungeons and Dragons, right? So, where the hell did you get that? <laughs> good, good. But the dice were probably much harder to to, to obtain than the the rules themselves. Probably, um, I, cer I certainly, you know, again, I as I've said before, when I got my uh, Holmes Basic set, right? They dice weren't acquirable at that time, so I was I was playing for quite a while with paper chits that came yeah. with that. Yeah, I mean it's a good point, right? Like even even the the manufacturers who of the game who are trying to include the dice now with the game were having trouble getting it, right? <laughs> like so yeah. how was an individual consumer tracking down these dice who knows? Maybe bring up the photo. So for what it's so I have a photo of all the stuff, right, which I use for the thumbnail. And I feel that what one of the interesting things there's it really emphasizes how many D6s are being mm are being recommended there. So that's specifically the, the about the number of dice is you have a pair of D4s, D8s, D12s, and D20s, and then have this giant mass of D6s. And we've actually done a whole prior episode just about how important the D6 is to early Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, really the attacks and the saving throws are based on the D20. And almost everything else in the game is based on D6s. You're, you're, initially, the hit points were all D6s. So, you know, if you're if you're rolling for monster hit points on the fly, the DM is using batches of D6s. Some of us keep the D6s in a little pile to track the monster hit points. Um, uh, you know, just random, climb a wall, hear a noise, fall in a trap, all those things, you open a door, all those things are based on D6 rolls. 
Um, so the well, game is almost a game of just D20s and D6s. It's really close to that. Yeah. I mean, also, I think, you know, as a player, I would say anytime I was playing a magic user, if I'm going to roll a fistful of these for my fireballs and lightning bolts, I, I want I want a fistful of them, right? I don't want, I want to be re-rolling one D6 over and over and over again. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. We all want that. Um, yep. So, uh, so yeah. So, and, and so I like that, you know, and again, uh, you know, the sixes fall in this really nice zone of most people's, uh, you know, short-term memory can handle like maybe about seven things, right? And so we can judge. I find it pretty easy to judge, you know, is, are the chances of this, some random thing comes up. Is it is it five chances in six? Is it three chances in six? And I feel like I can gauge that on the fly pretty well. So as a DM, I'm actually very happy to have a, a D6 check be kind of my fallback for something that I have to add ad lib. Hmm. Cool. So yeah, dice. Shall we move down the list? Or do you have we more should. to say about dice? Yeah. All right. All right. So the next thing is the yet a third game that we have to have our hands on, right? Which is of course right. chain. Right. Chain now. <laughs> the, uh, which which I do not own a physical copy of, unfortunately. I only have it in digital. This uh, is a printing of a PDF. I don't have a real version. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell anybody yeah. that. I feel dirty. <laughs> I mean, well the fact but, is um, I have I have I have played D&D with a copy of Chainmail uh, next to me exactly zero times, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand. And that was certainly um, scrubbed from later editions. It's certainly awkward that the core, really, of your tactical game is sitting in this other, <laughs> this other book. <laughs> um, and obviously, you know, Chainmail was, you know, rules for medieval miniatures, and then it has an appendix of, well, you know, if you want to, you could also add dragons and wizards and things like that that really spawned this whole appetite for fantasy gaming. Um, but yeah, but with the original game, you actually technically really do need chain mail because the D&D books don't have a rule for initiative, don't have a rule for the turn sequence, uh, don't have ranges for ranged weapons. Um, a whole bunch of don't have combat modifiers like who's in front or who's in back or can you parry or things like that for all that stuff you need to look at chainmail and and again some it's easy to forget but technically original D&D says for your combat mechanics use the chainmail tables but alternatively there's this different way you could play maybe if you'd like to try it out where you're going to take a 20 sided die and you're going to roll on this different table with a 20-side die. You could, you could try that if you want to. Maybe that'll work for you. Um, mm -hmm. But weirdly, you know, D&D, by default, you're supposed to take two D6s and roll on the tables here. But of course, it was certainly more convenient to use the tables that you had in the D&D book because you have that, yeah. you have it. <laughs> and uh, that's where the, the D20 became what we were uh, familiar with. And that seems an odd choice to me too. I'm I'm wondering like how common was that for for any game in print, D and D or otherwise, uh, to reference? Hey, you need these other games. If I open my copy of Chainmail, then is this recursive? Is it going to tell me that I got to go own a copy of you know Clue? Like what? What, what else do I need to own here? <laughs> to my knowledge, no, I don't. This that's a good. I'm pretty sure the answer is no. I actually think Chainmail is actually. Um, a sufficiently closed system. I don't think that it does refer to other things. 
Um, of course, the you know the back refers to outside literature, right? Like Conan and Tokai and yeah. Elric and things like that. Uh, Michael Moorcock's Elric is 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 prominent, um, but yeah, it doesn't. You know, it does now. It does refer to uh, miniatures, right? It does refer to outside miniature products. So it says you could use the um, uh, the, the I believe Estelin, um product line of a thirty millimeter or forty millimeter uh, miniatures. I think is that is that what it says? So I guess even there, yeah, I guess it refers. To, you're going to need you're going to need miniatures, of course, and you're going to have to buy that someplace else. Now that that brings up the the topic, Dan, that you and I mentioned at the beginning, uh, just before the show, that we are probably going to cover here, which is what's missing from this list, and notably, miniatures is not on this list anywhere. Which is especially strange, not only given that I need a copy of Chainmail, which in turn implies that maybe I need miniatures. But I mean, it's right on the cover, right? It's on the cover. Medieval War games campaigns playable with paper and pencil and miniature figures. It's the, the third line and miniature figures. Yeah. Is that false do advertising? I, do I need miniature figures or not? <clears throat> Why is it left off the list? Now, That's admittedly, it, it does get, it's, it is, miniatures are not in this list. Uh, admittedly, it does get briefly referenced in a paragraph just above this list. So maybe you could switch the photo <clears throat> to the other uh, text on white that I've got there. Mm -hmm. So right above it, mm -hmm. right, there's this paragraph called scope. Um, and it says, uh, in part, it says the use of paper, pencil, and map boards, right? Remember, map boards are coming out of outdoor survival, are standard. Yeah. Miniature figures can be added if the players have them available and so desired, but miniatures are not required, only aesthetically pleasing. Similarly, unit counters can be employed with or without figures, although by themselves, the bits of cardboard lack the eye appeal of the varied and brightly painted miniature figures. So um, as as we kind of still play today, they're they're technically optional according to this. Hmm. It is weird that it's on the cover, though. What's it is weird? <clears throat> what's up with that? Well, well, I mean, I think some of us posit that that is you know marketing, marketing uh, propaganda, if you will, of sort of saying like people are going to see this thing on a shelf or see a picture of it in a catalog and and you're trying to answer the question am I or am I not interested in this game well if you're the type of person who likes fantastic medieval war games if you like games playable with pencil and paper or miniature figures you're probably going to like this game and, yeah and the other thing is we got to remember the 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 term role playing game didn't exist at the time right they had to invent it in order to properly describe what this a fad of D&D really was. So um, the only term of art that you had available at the time was, I guess it's a fantasy medieval war game. And of course, a war game you're going to be using your miniatures for. So if you're into that, you're into this. And then later on, the people were saying, well, this, this is a really poor descriptor of what this new thing in the world is. And we need a new, a new name for that. Swimming. <laughs> Now, okay, yeah, William yeah. makes in the chat makes a really good yeah. point. So William's pointing out that they're the miniatures are optional because we don't have them to sell to you yet. And so, of course, um, uh, when you move forward to advanced D and D in first edition, uh, there's a section in the DM's guide, um, and it doesn't talk about it. Weirdly, doesn't talk about paper or pencils or graph paper or this or, this, or outdoor survival, but it does have an extensive section of miniatures and where you can buy them. You can make sure you buy. The official Dungeons and Dragons miniatures from TSR accept no substitutes, right? Don't buy anything else. Buy our stuff if you're going to use miniatures. But uh, William's correct; that didn't that didn't exist at the time. 
So at this moment, totally, totally optional. You, you know, do play how you want. We don't care. Cool. <laughs> We're not in that business. <laughs> yet. Um, all right. Let's go. I, I, I find I find it very interesting now as we continue down this list that you kind of have these like four bolded points. Dungeons and Dragons, Outdoor Survival, Dice, Chainmail. And then there's this other list that's indented. And but I'm confused because previously the indent it matches the indentation of dice, which are explain me what kinds of dice. But what why is this list <laughs> why is this list formatted this way? I don't understand. Because the next thing on here is three ring notebook. Is that related to chainmail? I mean, of course, of course I have my three ring notebook as well. You have your three ring notebook. Which I mean, and this is now, you know, granted mine's got the X uh artwork on it, but uh yeah, nice. I, I actually, when I was running uh, oh, wow, that's uh, the X nice. campaign, I, abs I absolutely use this all the time, right? I got my maps in there. I got my got my notes. I got, I got my extra loosely paper. I know we haven't gotten to that one. I'm skipping ahead, but yes, mm -hmm. ring light <laughs> ready to go in here. You know, uh, various other you know lists of random charts and ventures. I got I got look at there. You got I got a printout from. Uh, from uh, yeah. Dungeon Magazine of uh, the Keep of Coral, gosh, <laughs> all kinds of stuff, and 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 frankly, I I did like using a three ring binder because there's so much material for the game, and I didn't like it was such an open world campaign that I was running. I didn't know what stuff they were going to engage with and not, and I would regularly yes. crack this thing open, pull pages out, and put other pages back in. I had a whole separate folder of stuff that I was like, this was important in the past, but maybe isn't so relevant anymore. So it's kind of in the back file now and not doesn't doesn't get a place of pride in the binder anymore. You know, I, I will I, say like, that I, I, I mean, so I actually ha I mean, sometimes I use a binder for my campaign. Sometimes I don't. The funny thing is that for quite a while I used a a. Um, you know, the, the first episode of the season here, we were talking about the form factor of D&D &D and, and how neat the digest size books are. Well, obviously, this is a different size, right? This is, this is holding eight and 11, eight by 11 sheets here. For a while in my campaign, I was using a digest sized loose leaf binder, and I slightly came to regret it a little <laughs> bit because I had would have to print stuff out. I would have to slice it and I would have to get a non-standard hole punch to put stuff in there. Um, yep. and I think I came around, it would be a lot, certainly a lot more convenient if you can just get standard size paper in here, just a normal hole punch if you need to put stuff in here. And I, I think I came around, it might actually be more efficient for your campaign materials to be in this eight by 11 format in the binder. Well, and it, it, it adapts a little bit easier too, I would say, because a lot of the content that maybe if you bought PDFs of yeah. adventures, maybe that you're going to run, it's probably in half by 11 when you print it out. Now, maybe it's digest size, yep. as I have some content here that is, but that you can just print side right. by side and, and then normally three right. ring punch and then you've got to rotate your binder and you're all set. Right. Right. So it's, it's a little more. Now, yeah. you know, one thing that's, that was on my mind looking at this, of course, is this, this, you know, the game started and this list was written at a time, you know, before personal computers were available. So you weren't printing stuff. You weren't, you know, you weren't word processing stuff. Um, things were being made, you know, by hand, maybe a photocopier, maybe a mimeograph machine. And so these were all tools that you would use, you know, to make your dungeons, to make your designs, to track stuff. 
uh, mostly by hand. And this, these are the tools that you had available. I will point out, Paul, that not only is the referee, again, the phrase Dungeon Master hasn't been invented yet, not only does the referee need a three-ring notebook, each player <laughs> should have a three-ring notebook, Paul. Do all your players have their duly assigned three-ring notebook? No, honestly, I would probably be lucky if one out of six players at the table was even bothering to take notes of any kind, right? They have a character sheet. Maybe some of them are scrolling bits of information on the back of their character sheet or in the margins. Yeah. And there's probably one player there who's like had the forethought to be like, I'm going to bring a notebook. I'm going to bring some extra paper to write things down on. Yeah. It's been my experience. I, 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 I'm broadly in the same... I'm not entirely sure what the players would be using each individual three. I mean, I guess if they were going through lots of characters, I'm going through lot, multiple characters every night in this completely lethal game, and I need to keep a big stack of character sheets in here. Maybe that's maybe that's why they needed maybe. that. Right, I was I was thinking if they're if they're mapping stuff right, and they have all their maps. Yeah. Um, right. You can put your you can you know take your graph paper and hole punch it and put it in your three ring binder. Maybe I don't know. I actually had this wonderful practice when I was running this game where I actually had. Um, a folder that was just kept with the pile of things that was labeled players folder. And I said, you guys can put whatever you want in here. It's, it's available oh. to use. Stuff your notes, stuff your character sheets, if you want or not, whatever. The, the only reason it existed was I promise this will be at the table every week. And so it was a way for them to kind of have storage that went with the game so they didn't have to like, oh no, I, I left my you know three ring binder in my back, other backpack. I, I forgot to bring it with me to the game. It was just available to them. And they, they enjoyed that. And frankly, it was nice for me because then I could do dickish things like, oh, your character died? I'm taking all of his notes and maps out of here. You don't have access to that anymore. Sorry. That character <laughs> lost, died in the dungeon with all of his worldly possessions. <laughs> great. Great. Yeah. What a great, that's a great idea. That's an excellent yeah. idea. I love that. They, they seem to enjoy it. And, and it was sort of a thing that organically happened because I... You know, I offered, I think it started with just the character sheets. I was like, you can take your character sheets home with you. I said, or you can leave them here. I don't really care. I'm here. Like, it's not like you're not going to, it's not like you're going to use these in between. I'm like, I don't really care. Do whatever you want. And they, a lot of them prefer to leave their stuff behind. Just to, just for one less thing to remember, I think, between play sessions. Yeah, totally. Yep. I think as a player, I like that myself. Yeah. Uh, I, I also, point out, as course. DM, I also do, I occasionally audit the sheets too. Yeah. One of the downsides to this particular method, you know, of, of arranging your content is that three ring binding, of course, is terrible, and inevitably the pages rip and fall out. Yeah, because it's yeah. only like three stinking holes, and you know you're flipping yeah, yeah. through, and you're right. You, you're then right. maybe you're gonna buy. Are you gonna buy reinforcements? Do they even still sell reinforcements? I think they probably do, but maybe maybe we just jump to maybe just jump two bullets down. Because the official Gygaxian solution to that is use sheet protectors the heaviest possible, Paul. <laughs> this, this is uh, all that anticipated. So I got my sheet, I got my heavy duty sheet protectors right here. So I'm gonna put my oh, important buddy. stuff like my like my DM maps that's gonna be heavily used in my sheet protector. <laughs> Need the heaviest possible because because we know it's going to get heavy use exactly like you said, Paul. <laughs> got my map here, my cheat detector, right? 
goodness. So why 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 is she protectors? Well, I think partly for for Paul's point about the the durability of the holes there for stuff. Some people have also opined. Well, the DM could then take like a wet erase marker and they could mark where the players are going or important things in the session. Now, markers aren't One part day. of your recommended equipment, so I'm not entirely sure how that would work out. Also, um, I'm pretty like sure in 19... Uh, I'm pretty sure, Dan, in 1977, we're not using wet erase markers, but we're possibly using grease pencils. <laughs> yeah, Get your grease right. pencil out. Is, yeah. is grease pencils on the list? No, it's not. Grease pencils are not on the list. But I mean, you're probably going <laughs> to have one. I mean, you're probably just going to have one lying around <laughs> somewhere. I don't think I've personally ever owned a grease pencil. <laughs> That's delightful. There you go, sir. You. There's one oh my grease pencil for you. <laughs> Barrel black china marker is what this is labeled as. Sure, you got that lying around. Why not? Go on my That's map with this. Here's where you are. That's <laughs> <laughs> so that's so that's kind of interesting. Of course, you need graph paper, right? We're talking about mapping. You need graph paper. It says here that so Gygax is here recommending six, and I had a lot of graph paper growing up, right? I became wildly obsessed with acquiring, frankly, too much graph paper. Um, it's it's interesting that he recommends six lines per inch is best, and I feel that that's an indication that this is being written by someone with young eyeballs. <laughs> I don't I don't know that I've ever seen that kind of graph paper. I'm looking at my graph paper and I'm pretty sure that it's that it's four per inch. I'm gonna get out my ruler yes, it is. I know for sure. Yeah. But I bet it's four per inch. Yeah, I agree but also it's not printed on here anywhere how many squares per inch. If I went to I don't yeah, know, staples have... and tried to buy graph paper, would I find six Usually... Thing? I think it's hard to find now. I mean, usually it's listed on the on the cover of the pack. Uh, let me just get mine here. Uh, nope, not this one. So yeah, you what Paul is doing right now, I've done a lot of times in my life. Pull out a ruler, see how many inches per square the scrap paper is. Also see how many, you know, what the dimensions of the overall page are uh, for what kind of dungeon's gonna fit there. Uh, I think I, I definitely had graph paper with smaller, smaller size squares on it in the past, and it was frankly uncomfortable to use, even when I was a young person. So, um, so I, think there, I, have I have this interesting graph paper that I remember getting at college, which I have this pad back here. Yeah. Now, two interesting right. things about this particular graph paper. One is I just counted, and it's five squares per inch. Five. Of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, yeah. And the other interesting thing is it's in a it's in a pad. It's three ring punched by default, but it isn't a, a, a tearaway pad. And the and the lines, they're kind of green green ink on on a on a lighter kind of yellowish green paper. But the lines are actually on the back side. With the idea I think yeah. that you're drawing on here because you can just kind of faintly see the grid through the paper. Oh. But you're drawing on the back side. And I always I, I think maybe that's some idea that like maybe I'm gonna like photocopy it and the grid's gonna vanish or something maybe if I do that. I don't know. Weird. Weird yeah. I, that's that's actually novel to me. I I have yeah. pages that are like graphs on one side and lines on the other. So it's like here's your picture and here's your notes. I've had that. I've had that. That's an interesting. This I can't remember what it was billed as. You know, it was you know, it was bought again at a college bookstore, and I feel like it was you know for some very specific use case, right? Some like I don't know, you're taking architecture classes or something. I can't remember. Yeah. But it's definitely written. Yeah. It's definitely made in this way to be done to be used that way because. 
like the there there is printing on this side that you're going to write on. There is like lines around the outer edge, and there's some text over here about right. I don't know what something about probably like the number, the product number or something like that. Um, so I think it was absolutely expected to be used in that way, but weird. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a pad of graph paper like this again. Regardless, gotta have your graph paper. I mean, because you gotta, you know, you gotta make dungeons, and what are you gonna make dungeons on? Graph paper. And, and what all, are you gonna make dungeons your... with? Um, sorry for interrupting you, Paul. There. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, if you was... if you jump two bullets another, if you jump another two bullets down, right, you need drafting equipment. So, Paul, you're mentioning maybe you're taking an architecture course or an engineering course or something like that. So you got to have you got to have your uh, your 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 triangles. Your your I know these are clear. Sorry about that. Your your forty five uh, degree and your thirty sixty degree triangle, and maybe you have like a French curve, maybe right. These are all drafting utensils that I had in my first art class in college, or maybe something that can make circles, right? Or maybe you got you got you need a compass. You need a compass for big maybe bigger circles, right? So you get your drafting equipment and and uh, you need your your colored pencils specifically. Right, not just any old any old pencil. You're gonna have colored pencils for your mapping. That's right? that's all. That's now, all assumed. You've only at the very end gotten to anything that I've ever used. So I will point out, like here in my binder <laughs> is my giant world map, where sure enough, I used colored pencils. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely use colored pencils. So I'm down with that. Colored pencils so that I can draw a nice map in color and have green forests and blue oceans and brown mountains. But. And I have never used a compass or an mm. S curve or a triangle. Have you used any of that what? in any of your D and D games ever? Of course I have. <laughs> well, of course I have. I'm a man of the book, Paul. Um, the which, so, which, and know, then I'm like, will, well, why? I'm, why are we on graph paper, Dan? What's the point of the graph paper if you're just going to use these tools to make weird shapes that don't fit on a graph? Well, this is this is a, this is this is a fair. Well, in order to scramble up your 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 human player, in order in order to scramble up your mapper player, because that's that's half the fun of the game is making your making your mapper. I mean, Paul, you've had a good time with that. I've totally done that with you. <coughs> yes, good good time by all. Anyway, if we, it's interesting that if we look at because I so maybe look at um, the uh, the dungeon geomorphs right. So one of the earliest product was dungeon geomorphs, just kind of pre-made map stuff that you could cut out or slice or modify or something like that. And I, I have a photo of like the first page of that. So this is clearly standard Gygaxian map style, um, and it looks like his early you know Greyhawk dungeons and his. Um, uh, uh, Expedition of the Barrier Peaks dungeons look a lot like this. Do I not have that in the in the prepared images, Paul? Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. There. I'm sorry. I'm oh, I'm sorry. I, I had a blue on white map. I guess I didn't get up. I didn't post up on time. But if we look at, um, um, uh, so if you get an opportunity to look at one of Gygax's earlier maps, right? These are the elements, right? You have straight hallways and rooms. You have 45 degree angles. Right, are are a common passageway element, and you have some rooms that are circles, and those are those are primarily his his initial elements on the initial dungeons that were being drawn to begin with, and you see those in the uh, the dungeon GMRs product, and um, you know all of his early all of his early dungeons. Those are the tools that he was using, 
And those are the elements that got into the dungeons at the time. It's amazing. Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've certainly never used them in my own designs. And frankly, it irritated me to have dungeons with those elements in it. Like, what are you going to, is, is uh, the characters, God, the last exchange I want to do is tell someone, yep, you're coming down, you're going north along a passageway, and then it, it makes a turn to the right at an angle and have the player go, great, I get out my protractor to find out what the angle of the turn is. <sighs> no thanks. <laughs> so for what it's worth, right, and I, yeah, so for what it's worth, right, the, if you look at, if you look at Gary's early dungeons, there were these 45 degree elements right 45 degree passageways off off the grid that were tended to be very sh fairly short and mm -hmm. nothing else was misaligned like that so all of the rooms were still aligned with the uh with with the graph paper right all mm -hmm. all of the you know the the major elements were all but occasionally you'd have like a 30 40 foot 45 degree <clears throat> angle that was fairly limited it didn't spawn a whole component of the dungeon that was all misaligned to the graph paper it was like a small connecting section mm -hmm. um and so uh i think it was i think it was fairly restrained and didn't go completely crazy on that complication and i think i'm willing to forgive that if you now if you have a completely random method for making dungeons you're gonna you're probably gonna take a 45 degree angle and then everything from there is all misaligned and i get that and you even see that in like Lost Dungeons of Tanisborg, um, and the designer said I might have been possibly misusing it when I did that. Sorry, mm -hmm. um, but at least the the actual way that, that that Gary was 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 making it was fairly restrained. All things considered, so if you're making an old school dungeon, you might consider avoiding having things super complicated and having those things a little bit restrained. Yeah, we're we're closing in on 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 ending time, so I want to make sure we make it through this list. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to push past the drafting equipment, <laughs> but personally, I wouldn't mind putting a big strike through right through that line and say, no, thanks. Um, next thing though, is scratch paper and pencils that, that yes, sure. Scratch paper and pencils is, a, yes, you should have yeah. that. I, that's, that's an obvious yeah. thing. You need um, the three, then, three ring wine paper. We didn't mention to stuff in your binder conveniently. That's, that's a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. That's straightforward. Uh, imagination, Dan. Imagination. You should have imagination. <laughs> oh, I don't see that at all. That's hard for me to conceive. <laughs> I, I just, I'll tell you what I'm imagining is who is sitting down writing this list. And when they got to this point where they're like, he, he, <laughs> imagination. <laughs> because it definitely gets, right, the, list, the list gets weirdly like humorous tongue in cheek here as, as we get towards the end. I need imagination. I need a patient. Referee, a patient one. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? Right, what are you doing? There's a little oh. jab on the players, right? Your players are going to test, test your referee's patience. So you, need, you need a referee who's going to yeah. deal with the nonsense that your players are going to be throwing at you perpetually for the next 50 years, people. Yeah. 
And then, of course, <laughs> finally, the last item on the list, five items down from drafting equipment, is you need players, <laughs> and you need you need other people to play the game with. What what a revelation! Oh no, <laughs> oh no! I I prepared this wonderful campaign, and I I forgot about oh geez, I forgot about that last item. Stupid. <laughs> well, I, I guess I can just wait. I guess I can just wait because I'm a patient referee. <laughs> What a weird list. What a strange list this is. <laughs> and again, no miniatures. No miniatures in the main list, um, which is might possibly be surprising when you got in here. So I once again, you know, I, I haven't looked at when I when I laid out, when I took the opportunity this weekend to lay out all the stuff together, you know, I you know, I haven't used the, the three ring notebook. Uh, quite so heavily. Oh, you know what? Fortunately, we have a couple of photos of Gary Gygax running adventures uh, late mm -hmm. in his life, early 2000, right? So here he is at a table and he he ate his own dog food. He wasn't kidding. This is this, you know, 40 years later, this is absolutely how he's running his game. And you see, he's got the Dungeons and Dragons original books on the table. It's not, he's yep. not using advanced. He's not using first edition, right? He's still using the original game. He's got the dice on the table. Yep. He's got a three ring binder. Uh, we're yep. pretty certain that he's looking at the original gray hot castle map. He's got a map that he wrote by hand. It's in a, it's in a protector, right? It's in a heavy duty like protector because he's used it for a long time. Yep. The yep. other page is some three, you know, some lined three ring binder paper with the key to the dungeon. Um, and also his smokes. I didn't. That didn't get in the list. But he's, he's also he's also got his smokes. Get him through the game because because it's probably going to make him more patient with the crazy players. <laughs> right? You know, I I was trying to figure out what that was. Right? I'm looking at the little tin there, and and it just cigarettes didn't jump to my brain for whatever reason. But I guess that makes sense. And I'm looking at the lighter for like I don't know what does he like? Is he gonna light character sheets on fire when your character dies? <laughs> Sorry, character's dead. <laughs> Going on this way. <laughs> that would be quite quite the power move, I think. But probably not one done by. It's probably uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, smokes. Yeah, that makes sense. Don't forget your smokes. <laughs> I'll tell you honestly what, what what seems to me strikingly missing from the the list that I've seen at pretty much every table ever of D&D I've ever played is snacks. You got to have your snacks. Why is there no snacks on the list? Good point. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I like that. That's a lot. So yeah, you can you can play with this. Gary was Gary was committed. Yeah. That's absolutely hype. It didn't have a DM screen. Didn't have a lot of other accessories. Actually, didn't have a whole lot of cards or something like that. But that's that's actually how we ran it. Basically, a couple pieces of paper and a three ring binder and some dice. That's what you need for original D and D. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The interesting thing about the three ring binder, of course, is if you have it open in front of you and you're looking and you're looking at your notes, right? Is that if you needed to hide it from the players, you can just dip it up, right? Yes, right. It's kind of its own screen, right? Kind of its own screen. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we are. We are totally out of time. Any final thoughts on the equipment list of uh, required equipment to play original edition Dungeons and Dragons? It's a it's an amusing list, and I'm on it. I'm really glad we got to spend an hour really thinking about just that list. Later editions don't have that, right? Later editions don't have 
either as an extensive or as weird a list. Later editions tend to talk about, well, you need dice. The dice might be new to you as a fantasy yep. gamer. Uh, you'll need papers and pencils, right? Like Moldvay, for example, basically says you need dice, you need uh, pencil and paper, you need graph papers and optional miniatures, that's it. They never talk about external games again. They don't. They never talk about drafting tools or the binder or the, the sheet protectors or the colored pencils or any of that stuff um, get, is, is gone from any other edition. So I kind of like seeing how, how what he had available and what he was going to use himself is kind of a really interesting little historical tidbit. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's fascinating. And I think it's an interesting insight into just the mental headspace of the authors, right? That this list was written in this way and that you've got these little interesting humorous digs at the end about how you need a patient referee and <laughs> imagination. <laughs> Holy crap, you need imagination. Uh, which, you know, suggests to me that maybe he was playing with a few too many players who lacked that piece of equipment who had forgotten to bring that along with them. <laughs> little, little jab there. <laughs> Good point. Uh, Good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, fascinating. It, it is interesting. I, I, and actually, I'm kind of curious now to go dig up some of the later editions and poke through and see if I can find, because I feel like there's probably sections that talk about this is what you need, but there are probably much more practical lists and less, less weird and less humorous and less uh, specific. Exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I kind of, I kind of want to run a game and like commit to like these are the implements I'm going to use. Specifically <laughs> <laughs> these, right? Oh goodness, oh goodness. Oh, and then and then maybe come up with some some clever uses, right? So like when your when your player is zoning out and looking at their phone instead of paying attention to the game, you, then you can hurl your compass at them. Right? That, that would attention. be that would be that would be like meaner than than I can than I can handle. I might maybe, maybe possibly dice or a pencil. Yeah. The compass is dangerous. Well, I, I don't know if anybody has multiple. I have stabbed myself on multiple occasions with my compass. It's really, it's really risky, frankly. I'm just trying to find some use case for having drafting tools. At the table. <laughs> There's got to be some. Well, you need circular things. rooms. As someone no. said, Paul, you do need circular rooms in your dungeon or your battle map or whatever. I'd say absolutely I've used that. I've used that more than my other drafting implements. All right. All right. Well, viewers, <laughs> if you have thoughts on this list, if you want to argue uh, for the inclusion or exclusion of drafting equipment, uh, or any other piece of equipment on the list, uh, thoughts on how things were used, or thoughts on what's maybe missing, or any thoughts in general about the original edition of the game and uh, what you'd like to see us cover as we continue to discuss the 50th anniversary of the game, uh, leave us some comments here on the YouTube video. We'd love to hear your thoughts, and maybe that will spin up a new topic for a future show. Yeah, definitely. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, uh, The Wandering DMs. We are on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok and places like that. We've got the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites. So please look for us there and shatter that like button. <laughs> yes, indeed. If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only format, uh, you can get the podcasts of the show at our website at wanderingdms.com. Also through various podcast carriers such as Spotify and iTunes pocket casts and a dozen others i'm sure if you're listening to the show right now on one of those third-party carriers and they give you the opportunity to do so please rate and review our show that helps other users of that site find our show and we really appreciate it
We really do. And of course, huge thanks to our patrons who support the show here. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. And just like Paul said at the top of the show, you'll get access to our Discord server where the conversations about gaming and classic gaming and new gaming are happening all the time. And we can get to visit with you in our after chat that we have every Sunday. They'll be happening in about 10 minutes on the uh, video channel over on Discord. Um, other stuff that's happening on the channel is a new show uh, starting on Thursday. I'm going to be doing a, a live stream uh, Thursday evening. And we know that uh, use of miniatures is optional in uh, classic D&D, even though it says it on the cover. Uh, so I'm going to be uh, having a stream for at least a little while called Dan's Old Time Minis Show, where I'm actually going to be duplicating and casting uh, classic miniatures uh, in my household, and so you'll get the opportunity to see me possibly splash, splash myself with molten metal in my kitchen, uh, and that'll be Thursday night at 9 p.m., and I'll be doing that weekly for a little bit uh, to think about how um, no 3D printing, uh, no computers involved here, so be, get an opportunity to revisit uh, how some of us used to cast our own miniatures in our houses. Dan, I'm, I'm so glad you're inviting an audience to watch you uh, as you uh, undergo this activity so that at least there will be someone to call emergency services when you are overcome by fumes. So thank you. Appreciate that, right. viewers. Please, that please get ready. Get ready. <laughs> get ready to smash that 911 button. Um, <laughs> I, I I really appreciate it. There's a link. There's a link to the event in the in the description on YouTube. So please please cue that up, and I will uh, I will enjoy uh, seeing folks uh, uh, visit uh, starting uh, Thursday at nine. Thanks 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 Paul. Yeah yeah I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'll I'll be watching the replays though Dan. So uh, you know don't expect any emergency services from my direction. <laughs> I'm a patient referee, Paul. I can wait. I can wait. <laughs> so all that and more on Wandering DMs, viewers. Uh, don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. I mean, hopefully. Uh, so please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.